You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenchurch.com. With me in your Bibles, we're going to read from the book of Exodus 30, 34, 6 to 7. I'm going to try and do a, a better job this time and land this. The title of my message today is Focus on the Family. It has nothing to do with James Dobson. Nothing to do with James Dobson. It's just the title. Focus on the Family. Pope John Paul II said, as it goes with the family, so goes the nation and so goes the whole world in which we live. As it goes with the family, the family is, if you just see the family as a cell, the human body is made up of millions and millions of cells. A nation is made up of millions and millions of cells and each cell is a family. A cell has... three components has three components it has a nucleus and the other two eases not it's not a radius whatever the other two are but it has three has three components because everything that God created is a trinity a family is a trinity a husband and wife can't can't be a trinity they're not a family they're a husband and wife when the child is born it becomes a cell it becomes a trinity it becomes a, a, a and so as it goes with the family uh, God didn't create Adam because he wanted a worker. There's some really bad teaching out there that, you know, God created the world in a garden and he put Adam in there to tend and to keep, which he did. But the, the motivation for Adam wasn't for Adam to be an oompa loompa. How many people saw, you know, Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory? So in Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory, he rescued the Oompa Loompas from Oompa Loompa land so that they didn't get gobbled up by Snozwangers because a Snozwanger would gobble up two or three. Who ever heard of a Snozwanger? And, you know, so, so he rescued the Oompa Loompas and the Oompa Loompa run the organization. They run the factory. They run the, the whole show. There's a lot of people that think, okay, that's like God, the world is the chocolate factory and Adam, man, is the Oompa Loompas, but that's not how it is. God didn't create Adam because he wanted a worker. God created Adam because God's intention from the beginning was familia, was family, was family. And, and if you think, aha, aha, God was lonely being God of the universe, and so he was lonely, so he created, God was never lonely. Oh, okay, well, God was in the universe, and he had nobody to, to God over. So he, God, didn't, God didn't create man to God over them. He, he wasn't threatened, insecure, he's not capricious. God had such perfect fellowship, such perfect love, such perfect joy in the Godhead between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, between the Trinity. There was such perfect relationship that... For God so loved the world, he, for God so loved the world, he, love gives, lust takes. Love gives, lust takes. Because God is love. He says, in the Trinity, let us make man in our image and in our light and let them have dominion over the fish. So God created Adam because he wanted family. He wanted, he wanted you and I to experience the perfection, the love, the euphoria that is God. You were created to experience God. Religion skews God. R- religion will, will say, hang on, hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. 
<laughs> Steady on there, Bill. Before you get to God, you've got to obey all of these things and all of these decrees and all of these dogmas and all of these liturgies and all of the, you know, you got to, you can't do this and you got to do that and you got to cut your hair and don't you dare dance. And, you know, and there's all these things you got to, and so by the time you get to God, you're exhausted, wore out, and you have a slanted picture of him. God created Adam to walk with him in the cool of the day. So God creates man, but the first thing he does with the man is he puts him in a garden to tend and to keep the garden. So even though God created Adam because he wanted family, the first thing that God did for man was to give him a job. I said this in the nine and it's worth repeating. You can tell, you can tell what is dear to God by what the spirit of this world attacks. In 2020 and 2021, we saw the spirit of this world, the spirit of globalism, of a globalist World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, they're all part of it. They're not good people. Do not believe their PR reports that they put out. They are evil people, evil. And they have an agenda to the elites rule over the masses. They wanna enslave you. And so one of the ways that they do that is the government partners with big business to crush small business. So they, 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 crush, they shut down restaurants, they shut down cafes, they shut down the, the mom and pop shops, they shut down small industries, they shut those things down. When they shut them down, depression went through the roof. Depression went through the roof. How, how many people here have ever heard of retirement? Retirement. What, what's, the, what's the age of retirement, the average age of retirement? 65, 65. How many people think, wow, that's a great thing. The elderly, when they get to 65, let's let them retire. Do you know who invented retirement? The Nazis. The Nazis invented retirement. Because Adolf Hitler, Adolf Hitler had what he called, because he was trying to set up socialism. So he had, what they, they called useless eaters. So the first people they got rid of was all the handicapped, all the mentally retarded people. They, they exterminated them, they euthanized them. They got rid of them because they were eating, they were consuming, but they weren't contributing. The next thing that they noticed was that as a man got older, his productivity got lower. So they said, well, how do we, how do we fix this? And so one of his psychologists said, here's the thing. If you take away a man's work, you take away his meaning. If you can take away his meaning, you take away his purpose for living. And they basically said that, that if you can do that, a man will die within a decade, no matter how healthy he is at 65. What's the average lifespan for a male in America? 74. What time do they retire? What age do they retire? 65. What's 65 plus 10? 75. And they, what's the average? 74. So whenever you see the enemy attacking men, depression went through the roof. Men, men have their identity. They have their value. They have their worth. In a, you were created to accomplish goals. At Emerge Men's Conference, we're, we're, we're going we're to raise up warrior men who understand that they have shoulders 
to bear responsibility. They are, they, 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 they are warriors to take territory. They are fighters to fight for the things of virtue, the things of valor, the things of family, the things of meaning, the things of hope. They're they meant to fight for their marriages and fight for their kids and fight for their futures. And so the devil attacks. We, we see this with the Jewish nation. No nation in human history has been on the brink of being wiped off the face of the earth more than the Jewish people. Hitler, when he signed the final solution in, literally believed that he was going to exterminate every last Jew living on the planet. The, the Jewish nation, because they belong to God, the spirit of this world is an antichrist spirit. Do you know right now on this planet, the number one group that is endangered on this planet is Christians. Tens of thousands of Christians are being murdered, martyred every single day, but you won't hear about it. And the reason you don't hear about it is because the spirit of this world is in congruency with Satan that hates the things of God. The war on the womb, human life. God says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. It's dear to God, but Satan attacks the sanctity of life. Satan attacks marriage. God said, it's not good for men to be alone. Therefore, I'll make a helper suitable for him. And God blessed them and said, Satan attacks marriage. He hates fam marriage and he hates family. You can often tell what God loves by have a look at what the spirit of this world attacks. What the spirit of this world. So let me give you three quick thoughts. Today. In fact, let's read the scripture. Sorry, we're going to read the scripture. It's a beautiful scripture. Uh, I won't take as long to introduce it, but basically... Moses is in negotiations with God. He's come down from the, the, the mountain with the Ten Commandments, and he hasn't even made it to the bottom. And all the people, you know, they've gone to Aaron. They said, what's happened to this Moses? We don't know where he is. He could have been bitten by a snake and died. You become our leader and make gods for us. And so Aaron's like, give me your earrings, gold earrings. And so he makes two golden calves. Golden calves is what the Egyptians worshipped. But even the first word of the Hebrew, uh, the first letter of the Hebrew al alphabet is the Aleph, and the Aleph is an ox or strength. So they make two golden calves because they know that God is young, youthful, eternal. So he kind of is doing his best depiction of God. But when, when Joshua and Moses come down from the mountain, there's all the people, hey, yo, 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 hey, yo, yo, hey, yo, you know, dancing around this thing. And as they're dancing, their clothes are falling off and they're getting confused whose wife and whose husband. And it's a mess. It's a freaking mess. And so God says to Moses, get away from him. I'm going I'm to wipe him out and I'll make of you a great nation. And Moses is like, whoa, 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 hey, whoa, 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 steady on there. He's like, listen, if you do that, then all the Egyptians and all the people that saw you rescue your people out of that land will say, oh, he brought them into the desert, but he couldn't get them into the promised land. It'll, or they'll say he brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Remember your covenants to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Forgive their sin, even though it's great. Forgive their iniquity. Forgive their transgression. God says, all right, I'll forgive them. It's the first test of most pastors. I didn't grow up in a, in a pastor's home. My dad was an atheist. I was studying engineering when I went to, to Bible college instead. And as I've kind of been doing this thing a little over 30 years, I began to notice that there are some, some pastors, they really don't care what happens to their people, just so long as God will make their name great. 
Just so long as Jurgen Matesius, Global Intergalactic Cosmological Universal Ministries. You may live on Mars, but he'll influence you up there. We'll make sure you get Wi-Fi. You can tune in on us. I mean, they, they don't care what happens. Moses, it's the first test of a pastor. First test, God says, I'll wipe them out and I'll make of you a great nation. I'll give you a great name. He's like, no, nah, your people. Forgive their... And he says, if you won't do it, block my name. Blot my name out of the book of life. And God's like, wow, you're really serious. God loved Moses. So then, so then, um, then Moses says to God, and hang on, you, and also you were telling us that you're going to send your angel. God's like, yeah, I'm going to send my angel before you. My angel is going to take you into the promised land. He's going to wipe out all the enemies, that every, the Jebusites, the Hivites, the Mozibites, the Moabites, all the bites. He's, right, they're going to, the angel will wipe them out and you'll, so he says, I'm going to give you my, my promises I'm going to give you my protection. I'm going to give you my provision. I'm going to give you my purposes. The only thing I'm going to withhold is my presence. And Moses says, no deal. And, and goes, I beg your pardon? No deal. He says, truckers, come on in. This is now Ottawa. God, we are, we are camping. We will not move. We will not move forward unless your presence goes with us. It was the first Ottawa truckers blockade. When Moses says, unless you go with us, we ain't going. God's like, I'm gonna give you an angel, like a mighty smiter angel. He's like, I don't care. We don't, we don't want your promises. We don't want your protection. We don't want your provision. We don't want your purposes without your presence. Unless your presence goes with us, do not even bother trying to take us up from here because we ain't moving. That's a good, that's the second test of a pastor. Because I know a lot of people, man, as long as, uh, as long as everything looks good, Pastor Marco, man, that church, man, do you see the purposes of God in them? Man, do you see their protection? Do you see their provision? Man, do you see what God's promises coming apart? A lot of people settle for that. But Moses says, I ain't, tra you, I ain't trading the stuff for God. I want your presence. We need your presence. And God's like, dude, the people are a stiff-necked people. I could come into your midst and consume them in a moment because God is perfect. God is holy. God is righteous. He can't look away from sin. He has to judge it. And so he says, all right, all right. And so, all right, I, I, I won't, I'll figure something out. I'll figure something out. We'll put a tabernacle. We'll get priests and they can sacrifice so that I can live in the midst of, all right, done. And then Moses on a roll now. That's two out of two. He's like, I may as well go for a third. He says, all right. He says, I want to see your glory. Because I just met you at a bush. <laughs> the burning bush. And it was a cool trick. He says, but telling everybody, but I want to, I want to see your glory. Just, and God is like, you little rascal. But if I was honest with you, it's a little bit like El Guapo. Turning to Hef, he said, I like these guys. Just kill one of them. You know, it's like, <laughs> we are the three. Hey. I've got to stay on course. Excuse me. Anyway, so he didn't say just kill one of them. He just says, I, I, I like this guy. I like these guys. And so anyway, so, so Moses, 
It's terrible. So Moses, excuse me. So Moses says to God, show me your glory. And God is like the audacity, the audaciousness. Faith is sometimes audacious. Let me, faith is audacious. 16 campuses in San Diego, that's quite audacious. You know, when, they, when we got here, they said, you're not gonna have, you, know, you can't buy one building. And then I said, oh shoot, I don't know what to do. God gave me a vision of a baseball diamond, one church, four locations. I'm telling you, there are times where faith looks audacious. I can't believe you live on, you live on Coronado Island. Audacious. I can't believe you. Do not apologize for having a little bit of audaciousness, for being a little bit faith and audacious. Faith and audacious. Faith and audacious. Don't apologize. Hey, was that a Rolex watch you've got there? Yeah, God gave it to me. Oh, I can't believe you're prospering. Let me just tell you something about prosperity right now. While I'm already on the offensive train, let me tell you why Satan hates prosperity. And it's got nothing to do with Joel Osteen's smile. Friend, God loves you. It's got nothing to do with that. Satan hates prosperity. He attacks it vehemently. Even, even I love Babylon B, but they are naughty. They go after Joel all the time. Leave him alone. The reason that Satan hates prosperity is because prosperity is the individual unlocking the favor of God, unlocking the blessing of God so that you bypass any need for a man. When Abraham walked into the valley of Shaveh, he was meant to meet the king of Sodom and Abraham had just whooped five kings, conquered five territories and the king of Sodom was coming out to negotiate and the Bible says Abraham had already determined, I won't take one, not even one sandal strap, I won't even take a, a, a flip-flop, a chunkler. I, I won't even take a chunkler from, 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 lest he say I made Abraham rich. What ticks the devil off is prosperity because the devil wants people impoverished so that they're dependent upon the government and independence in exchange for that, the government can rule over you. He hates prosperity because instead of you being dependent upon the government, you can actually be generous. You can give. Did you know that America is more generous with missions, more generous with first aid, more generous with help than every other nation on the planet combined? Did you know that? And that's not from our government, that is from personal giving. People's personal giving. Satan hates prosperity. All right, so I've got to go into my points. So just, all right, so number one, God's plan was always family. God's plan was always family, always family. Abraham, his name Abram, exalted father. When the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, he didn't say, okay, when you pray, say, oh, great and mighty potentate. He didn't say intergalactic ruler and power we come before. He didn't say that. He didn't say, oh, divine being that dwells in the far reset. Stacy's having a fun time right here. <laughs> he says, when you pray, say, our father, our father. I'm not sure if you realize this, but God wanted family his intention was always family 
God wants you in his family. You're not a subject. You're not a worker bee. You're not a oompa loompa. You're a son. You're a daughter in the family of God. I have four kids. I love my kids. None of them are perfect. Well, Zoe. But, you know, three, three of them, 75. Actually, Tommy's. All right. I don't love my kids because they're perfect. Religion robs relationship. Let me just say that again. It just came to me. Religion robs relationship. Because I love my kids, I love them when they're good and I love them when they're not good. I love them when they're doing well and I love them just as much when they're struggling. I love them when they're kicking goals and I love them when they were addicted, when they were arrested, when they were sitting in a juvenile detention center. I didn't love any less. Well, hang on. What do you mean you love them? They were misbehaving. They were dishonoring. They were, but they were mine. They were mine. Every Thursday I was at drug court. Every, I remember going in, get, getting searched to go in and visit because I love. Religion is a liar. We don't do religion here. I don't like that church. They're like, you know, look at them half the time. Half of them drink wine. Did you know that? Some of the leaders go out to vineyards. I can't believe it. Some of them even dance. Because in this church, Satan's gift to the church is a religious spirit. Religion robs relationship. Religion is all about the disqualifications. God would love you if. God loves you as long as. Here are the things that you got to do to earn. My kids don't have to do to earn. Let me just say that again. My kids do not have to do to earn. God loves you. He is relentless in his pursuit of you. Abram means father, exalted father. Of all the examples God could use to choose a family in the earth, to show his covenants, to show his promises, to bring forth his plan of salvation, he chooses the nation Israel, whose father was Yitzhak, laughter. I don't like this church, they're laughing too much. Israel's father was Yitzhak laughter. You're going to have a real hard time in heaven, Mr. Religious Pharisee. You're going to have a hard time if you're not, I'm not into laughter. And then Abram. All right, so anyway, so that's point number one. Point number two, we live in a generational echo chamber. Oh, I didn't read the scripture, did I? I haven't read the scripture. How could I? I'm not doing a good job, Pastor Mike. I'm trying to be better and I'm worse. All right. So anyway, so Moses, Moses convinces God to show him his glory. So God says, there's a place by me. You'll stand on the rock. The rock is Jesus. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand. The covering is Jesus, Jesus' blood. God is protecting Moses from his own presence, but answering his prayer, even though Moses doesn't realize what he's asking. What he's asking. So God says to Moses, all right, all right, I'll show you my glory. Uh, which part of me do I show you? I'm gonna show you my goodness. The enormity, the infiniteness of God. He says, I've just got to take a tiny little piece of me because that's all you'll be able to handle and I'm going to show you my goodness. I will make my goodness pass by 
because in my goodness you won't die in my presence. Sinful man can't stand in the presence of Almighty God. So he says, I'll make, my, I'll make my goodness pass by. He says, and you, 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 I'll cover you with my hand. My face you won't see. No man can see me and live. Just my back you'll see. So the Bible says that, that, that Moses goes up onto the mountain. All of a sudden, he's picked up and he's put into this crack in the cliff. And he's standing on a rock. And all of a sudden, this something like a mist, like a white cloud covers him. And it's the hand of God. And the Bible says, and the Lord passed by. Verse 6. And the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out. The Hebrew is very, very obscure. The Hebrew indicates that there, there, there was, there was a, a, a communication that is like a calling out, but it was without words. Most Bible scholars believe it wasn't so much God proclaiming with his mouth, it was Moses standing in the presence of God, what was being transmitted from the experience, from the environment, that, that all of his senses, all of his synapses in his brain were firing, and this is what was processing. This was, this was the overwhelming thoughts. This was the overwhelming narrative in his head. Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, lavishing unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even the children in the third and fourth generation, even the children in the third and fourth generation. And then Moses comes down. When he comes back down to the mountain, everyone, ah! everyone's running. He's like, why is everyone running? And it's because his face was glowing. He didn't see God's, all he saw was God's back and he was glowing. The Bible says they had to put a veil on his face because Zipporah would say to him, turn off the light. He's like, the light is up. Oh, it's your face. And so he had to put a veil on his face because they couldn't sleep. It was just, just glowing. But, but the part I want to land on is that God lays the sins of the parents upon the children and grandchildren to third. Someone once said, why would God do that? That's cruel. But God spreads it out because the judgment for one generation is too much. Some of our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, they deserve death for the sins. Some of them, the things that they did. But God is so gracious that he, rather than let one generation, otherwise no one would exist, he, he spreads it out. Spreads it out over three, four generations. But I want you to know this, that you today are an echo chamber of your ancestry. When you go to ancestry.com, you find out, oh my gosh, like I'm 12% Irish. No wonder I like leprechauns and the color green. And I don't mind me a, a small Guinness every now and then. You know what I'm saying? And I, I tank gold, I tank gold every day that I'm, you know. And so, so you'll, you'll, you'll find, you find all this stuff out. You find out that you've got, oh my gosh, I had, in the same way you've got that stuff, you've also got their dysfunctions. You will hear in this church things called generational curses. So there are things that are passed down generationally. Nobody arrives with a clean slate. And unfortunately, in, in my life and in your life, you will find that some of the stuff that you're bent, that, that is a bent, that is a bias, that is actually working against you. 
I had no idea. I was living with stuff in me that was sabotaging my life. It was sabotaging relationships. It was sabotaging friendships. I didn't know where it came from, Pastor Marco, but it was the rejection of my father, the rejection that was in my grandfather, rejection that was, was passed down. I, I, I didn't realize this was working against me. I didn't realize that the deceit and the deception that was in my mother, that was in her, that was passed down. These things were operating in me because they refused to deal with it. And so it was ruining this and it kind of sabotaged that moment and destroyed that opportunity and ended that kind of path and and so I began to realize my God I'm living with my own enemy and I am the enemy and the enemy is my inner me but thank God for Jesus Christ because Jesus says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has sent me to preach the good news to heal the brokenhearted to bring recovery to those who have lost their vision to set the captives free to loose those who were bound and to proclaim the acceptable year of the... I began to realize that the anointing of God doesn't just preach a gospel that I can hear but never attain, that when he preaches the life that I can have, he immediately unleashes the other things to begin to heal what is broken and damaged in my heart. He begins to restore so that I can see again. He begins to deliver that which has bound me. He begins to set me free from things that have held me back so that I can proclaim with my life how good God is the acceptable year of the Lord. But we see this in the Scriptures. If you look at the life of Joseph, in fact, come with me in your Bibles. It's, um, it's Genesis 45, 27. 45, 27. The Bible says that when, when Joseph's brothers finally come down to Egypt, and they're, they're in front of this man who's now the prince of Egypt, and when... When they're invited in to dine with him at this, this luxurious banquet. And then they're perplexed. They're like, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. How, how, how did this guy get it right? He's got us seated in perfect order of our birth. How does he know Reuben's the firstborn, Simeon the second one, Levi the third, Judah the fourth, Issachar, Dan, Naphtali? How does, how does he know this? And then look, look at Benjamin's plate. Benjamin's got five times what the rest of us have got. Because Benjamin was his sibling from the same mama. And then Joseph comes and tells them that I am Joseph. And they fell on the ground thinking, oh, it's over. He's gonna ex he remembers what we did to him. And he's now the most powerful man in the land. It is game over. And he says, listen, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Do not be afraid. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide for your wives. I'm going to provide for your children. I'm going to provide for your cattle. I'm going to provide for your little ones. Go get Papa. So they run. And the Bible says they tell Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. Joseph is still alive. Have a look at what it says, 4527. It says, and when Jacob heard that Joseph was still alive, his spirit revived. If you go back in Genesis 37, when they brought to him Joseph's tunic that they tore and they put goat, they slaughtered a goat and they put the goat's blood on it. And they're acting like they didn't know who's, uh, we found this, by the way. You don't know who this belongs to. They knew who it belonged to. 
But listen, because Jacob was a deceiver, because he was a deceiver, he reaped deception. Because he stole his brother's birthright, stole the firstborn blessing, because everything he'd gotten in life was deception. Listen to me, you can't sow wrong and reap right. Your life today is the harvest of all the seeds you sowed yesterday. If you do not like your life, good news, you can change the seed you're sowing. Pastor Mike's testimony is nine years ago, I walked into this house, I didn't realize what I was sowing. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that he shall also reap. Yeah, but, but that man comes from a Christian family. God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, yeah, but that guy, he walked on hot coals at a Tony Robbins seminar. Do not be deceived. Whatever a man soweth, it's got nothing to do with walking on hot coals. It's got nothing to do with that guy, the Christian. He's got the biggest cross. He's got, a, he's got a Jesus bumper sticker. It doesn't matter. Any of that stuff. Whatever a man, your life is the product of the seeds you sowed yesterday. If you want a different future, change your seed today. If I, if I said to you, listen, listen, this year, Rudy, instead of lemons, we can oranges, man. I hate those sour lemons. We're going to have sweet navel oranges. And if you're like, man, that's awesome. You, you, you went out and bought some orange seed? What? You went and bought orange seed? No, no, no. I was watching one of those Christian preachers. And he was saying, just confess it and possess it, brother. You can blab it and grab it. You can prophesy over the soil. No, no, no. I can, get, I can put a lemon seed in the ground and prophesy and dance and confess. And it's going to produce lemons. There's not going to be any oranges on that tree. Not a one. Because God's not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that's what he's going to reap. You're the smartest people in all of South Bay. Because you knew, I need to get to the house of God. Because when I go to the house of God, they're going to teach from the Scriptures, and I can make an exchange. The Bible says, whoever sows iniquity will reap sorrow. You can't sow fear and end up in a powerful result. You can't sow dysfunction. You can't sow indifference. You can't sow brokenness and get, you've got to change your seed. So in this house, you will find that you hear faith. And as you start sowing in faith, it's amazing what, ask Mike and Katie, ask Pastor Stacy, ask Rudy, ask Marco. Now begin to ask people, man, what? I look at your life. God is no respecter of persons. We heard that. He is a respecter of principles. The Bible says we are transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get rid of the negative. Get rid of the stinking thinking. So Jacob died. The Bible says his heart died. Something died inside of Jacob because it was the culmination. It wasn't just him. His father Isaac lied about Rebekah, said, she's not my wife, she's my sister. And so Abimelech's like, really? You got a smoking hot. How about I take her into my harem? And he was good with it. He's like, sure, what will you give me? Whatever you like, here's oxen and cattles. And do, do you like gold bracelets? Here's some gold bracelets. What a jack wagon, but don't blame Isaac. Abraham did it twice. Twice. Lied, deceived to get ahead. 
generational. It was in Abraham, it was in Isaac, but then the fruit came in Jacob. But now he looks and he sees that Joseph is still alive. Can I tell you, in the midst of your dysfunction, in the midst of generational curses, God is a redeemer. God is a redeemer. God is a redeemer. God is a redeemer. I can't, I can't, I can't go into it enough. In the previous story, I told about David sleeping with Bathsheba, having her husband Uriah murdered. And God visits David and He says, because you did this, sexual immorality, you've now established it into your home. What you did in private, in secret, will be done by your offspring on the rooftops. If you read the Bible, which we encourage. Ammon, David's son, sleeps, seduces Tamar. He was in love with her. She was so beautiful, but she was his half-sister. So he pretended he was sick and had her bring him soup. And then he grabbed her and said, lie with me. And she refused. She says, no, what? What? No. And so he held her down and raped her. And after raping her, it says the hate that he had towards her was greater than the love that he had previously. Lust destroys relationships. Don't ever let lust into your marriage. Don't let pornography into your marriage. It promises to enhance. It robs, thieves and destroys. He hated her. No, no, no. He hated himself every time he saw her because he realized he, in his lust, violated what was pure. So Absalom decides, I'm going to kill him. Not only does he kill Ammon, but he also says, my dad is a coward. Wouldn't deal with this issue. So Absalom becomes, wants to become king. David leaves the kingdom. He's carrying all the guilt and shame from his mess. And the Bible says that Absalom said to, to Ahithophel, he said, Ahithophel, how do I establish that I'm the new king, that I'm the new monarch? And Ahithophel says, very simple. Get all of David's concubines and all of the wives that he's left behind. Take them up onto the roof and each day in front of all the people have sex with them in the open air to completely violate, to put disdain on David's legacy, on David's dynasty. He had no idea the little fling in the back room. Jesus is whatever you hear whispered in the inner room will be shouted from the rooftops. But God, but God, but God. Solomon is the son of Bathsheba. There are other, Adonijah, there's all these other brothers who could be king. And God says, no, 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 the, your successor, David, is Shalomor, is Solomon. The guy you would think would be least, he's the one. Because my grace is greater than your sin. And God is a redeeming God. Point number three. Your struggles or your battles always yield generational blessings. Your struggles and your battles. If you're in a struggle right now, if you're in a battle right now, I need you to understand. I, I promise I'm going to land it. In Jesus' name. 
I promise you. If you're in a struggle or a battle right now, do not lose heart. Sometimes we think if I'm struggling, Pastor Marco, if I'm battling Natalie, then maybe I missed God. No, no, no. You, did, did you know all the way through the Bible, whenever there was a struggle, whenever there was a battle, it didn't just produce a child. When Abraham wrestled, battled with God in faith, he didn't just bring forth a son. He brought forth a son of promise, Isaac. When, when Manoah and his wife, who was barren, struggled with God, the angel of the Lord came and they said, you're going to be pregnant. He's going to be a Nazarite from the womb and he will deliver the nation of Israel. She brings forth Samson, a deliverer, a mighty deliverer, a son of promise. When Elizabeth was barren and the Lord sends Gabriel to appear to, to um, Zacharias, he says, she's going to have a child, but he's not an ordinary child. He'll go in the spirit of Elijah and he'll prepare. He'll make path the way of the Lord, brings forth a John the Baptist. When Hannah was barren, she travailed, she struggled in the temple, struggled in the house of God. And the Lord heard her prayer and she brought forth Samuel, Shmuel, heard from God, who became the most powerful prophet that anointed kings in Israel. You may be in a battle right now. Feel the anointing right now. If you're in a battle right now, if you're in a struggle right now, I need you to understand the only reason that God has allowed you to go through the struggle is not to defeat you, but because you are in the, the, the ninth month. You are, you are 10 centimeters diet. You are, you are birthing right now. The, the, the pain, the struggle, it's contractions. It may be on top of one another, but I'm telling you, you're about to birth something that is from the kingdom. When Abraham didn't just have Isaac, Abraham birthed faith into the world. A faith that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. That's what Abraham's assignment was. It wasn't about, a, God could touch, put a baby in. That was easy. God needed Abraham to bring forth more than a son. He needed faith to come in so that you and I, for, for God's love, whosoever believes would not perish. So if you're, you're going through a struggle, just lift your hand right now. Father, I thank you for all of these people that are going through a struggle, going through a battle. And I want to release the Word of the Lord to you today. The Word of the Lord to you is this, that your struggle and your battle has a victory at the end. And what you will bring forth is a prosperity the world can't take away. What you'll bring forth is a life that is a significance, is a son or a daughter of promise. What you bring forth is significant and influential. What you bring, that the Bible says, that which is born of God overcomes the world. What is it that over, whatever is born of God overcomes the world? What God, what you are giving birth to, what you are, and I, I hear, I hear God assigning angels at, as midwives right now around you to help you to deliver, to help you to bring forth. But the Lord would say, don't go, don't quit. Do not grow weary in doing good for in due season you shall. And I'm telling you, many of you are on the cusp of your due due season. Do not allow the enemy to discourage you. Do not allow him to get you to retreat, to give up, to retract. Do not give up on the miracle. Do not give up on the breakthrough. God is a God of breakthrough. God is a delivering God. And you are carrying a struggle right now because you are meant to birth something into this world. Birth something through your life. Birth something through your battle. The Bible says, glory be to God who always leads us to victory, to triumph in Christ Jesus. If you receive that, say amen. All right, let me finish, let me finish, let me finish. <clears throat> let me finish, let me finish. <clears throat> Elijah, before he was taken up, put a mantle on Elisha. Elijah struggled with depression. He struggled with anxiety. 
In 1 Kings 19, 4, he says, it is enough now, Lord. I am no better than my father's. Take my life. He struggled with suicide. He struggled with depression. He struggled with anxiety. But if you watch, he puts a mantle on Elisha. There's not one day in Elisha's life he struggled with suicide, struggled with depression, struggled with anxiety. When you engage with God, when you allow God to come in and begin to break generational curses, what you pass on to your children. My father, you've heard me share, was an alcoholic because his father was an alcoholic. My father was violent and abusive because his father was violent and abusive. My father was broken and withheld affection because his father was broken and withheld rejection. When I went to Bible college, God says, you got to forgive your dad. I'm like, uh-uh, I ain't forgiving him. Number one, he don't deserve. Number two, he ain't asking. And God's like, if you don't forgive him, I can't use you. I'm like, did you see me at chapel? Hello, everyone said, great preacher, great preaching. He goes, oh, I know you got a great preaching gift. But if you don't forgive your dad, everything that flows will be tainted, will be contaminated, will be defiled, will be polluted by the bitterness you have towards your father. So I said, all right, I'll forgive him. He says, well, I'm taking it up another level. You've got to tell him you love him as well as, and I'd never heard those words. So then years pass, I'm brushing my teeth. We're living in San Diego and two of the light bulbs are out. So the lighting's not great. And as I'm brushing my teeth, I look into the mirror, I make eye contact and I see my father in my features. And I do this, I went, and the Holy Spirit says, ah, well, well, well. I thought you'd forgiven your father. I'm like, oh, I, I did, honestly. Holy Spirit, look, look, I've forgiven him. I've forgiven him. I, I have no animus. I'm no. He's like, I know you've forgiven him, but you've never honored him. I'm like, all right, we're going to go there, are we? I said, all right. Bishop, tonight, you may want to check. Name one thing my father's done that's honorable, and I'll honor him. Probably check, mate. And then God has moves that you don't know. I didn't even see this move. He said, I'm not asking you to honor him because of what he's done. I'm asking you to honor him because of who he is. If we can throw the picture up on the... This is, this is an article they did in the newspaper. That's my dad. And he's holding a plumb line. He migrated to Australia in 1969 just before my third birthday. And his story is interesting because he was born in 1943, right in the middle of the Second World War. His mother died when he was five of tuberculosis. His father remarried, but the woman that he remarried had children. She was very, very cruel, favored her children, always blamed. My dad always got the beating from his drunk father who would come home. My father ran away from home at 14. He ended up in they had the, the conscription where you had to go into the military at 18 then they made him a soldier on the wall he told his best friend that he was sick of lining up every Tuesday for a loaf of bread every Thursday for a sausage because the communists the Russians took everything they don't, communism doesn't produce anything it says it wants to share all it shares is poverty and misery don't buy into it and so he said to his best friend oh man wouldn't you like to live in capitalist West. His best friend for money, 
if you dob in a defector, you get money. He's best friend. So my dad is arrested by the Stasi and put in a concentration camp. He's in a concentration camp for 22 months. The only way he got out, he, he had to tell them that, oh man, I was, you know, I was just kind of thinking out loud. He's lying. He's exaggerating. I, that was the only way they, they got him out. He had, oh, who? Karl Marx, Joseph Stalin. Woo-hoo, they're all, he had to say all of that. My dad, two years ago, flew him to Australia. He lives in Australia now. But instead of landing in Brisbane Airport, they rerouted the plane to land in Adelaide because of all the crazy. And so they, they were doing mandatory quarantines for 14 days. And so the, 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 the Australian Army officers came on board and they marched my dad off and they put him in a random hotel. It took me three days because I had Lucas Connell, Pastor Lucas Connell was picking up my dad. He's like, your dad didn't get off the plane. The plane didn't land. I'm like, what happened? Did it, you know, did it crash into the ocean? What happened? Then we find out was, anyway, so I finally tracked down my dad in the hotel. And he's cooped up in this little hotel in Adelaide, not in Brisbane. And, uh, and I'm thinking, you know, he's almost 80. I'm thinking he's going to be, and I'm like, dad, dad. And he's like, oh, blank. Oh yeah, it's blanking awesome. I'm like, awesome. He said, yeah, yeah, I was in, I was in a prison in a, in a concentration camp in Germany. Oh, blanks, there was eight of us in this fun little toilet. Here, I got my own room. I got a toilet, I got a bathtub. And so I got the television, I'm watching the crickets. They give me three meals a day. I'm like, I don't know if I could cope 14 days. You're not allowed to leave your hotel room, not allowed to go outside. My dad, to get from East Germany to West Germany, when they let him out of the gulag, when they let him out of the concentration camp, ran across a minefield. Do you know what kind of faith? What kind of faith does it take that I've got to get from here to here, here to there, and there's mines buried under the ground? What kind of courage? What kind of courage does it take to run across a, a minefield knowing any step could be your last? Then, then he goes all the way down to Tootling and where he meets my mum unborn. And then there's a severe winter. Mum's pregnant with my little brother and he couldn't work because of the winter, couldn't pay for the oil to keep the, the heating on. Someone said to him, you should go to Australia. It's warm down there. The weather's so good, you could work all year if you like. So he applied and got the visa straight away and moved my mother, me, she's pregnant with my little brother to Australia. Didn't know the language, didn't know the culture. My grandmother told my mother, my mother not to go. She said, Aboriginals will spear you when you get off the plane. She showed how they got, two stories, they sh- she showed how they got poisonous snakes. Seven of the 10 deadliest snakes in the world live in Australia. The most dangerous, most poisonous spider in the world lives in Australia. Swim in the ocean, there's sharks, box jellyfish, stuff you can't even see. I mean, everything kills you. You look at an animal the wrong way, it'll kill you in Australia. And so they don't know the language, they don't know the culture. And God says, I want you to honour your father, not because of what he's done, but because of who he is. And I didn't see any of this until I honoured him. And when I honoured him, all of a sudden I saw that with all of my dad's dysfunctions that I had to deal with, all of his alcoholism and his violence and his anger and his dis- with all of that, what was also passed down was a courage that would just be obedient to God to leave everything I'd known to come to a land I'd never lived in before to a city I'd never been to before or I didn't know the language didn't know the culture didn't know the but it was my father's courage to step out to have courage to to run across a minefield are you kidding 
So when Mussolini tried to shut us down to say, you can't have church and you can't, all of a sudden there's this something's rising up in me. I, I just can't, I just can't get in line with that. I just can't align with it. Stand to your feet. I've got to finish. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Lift your hands high to heaven. Stand to your feet. Lift your hands high to heaven. Let me, let me just pray over you and then Pastor Mike's going to close out. Listen, this is, I, say, I said everything I said today to say this. The fifth commandment, there are 10 commandments. The fifth one, number five, right in the middle. Honor your mother and your father that it may go well with you that you may live long in the land. It is the first commandment with a promise. First commandment with a promise. God said, I'm not asking you to honor Him for what He's done. I'm asking you to honor Him for who He is. If you honor Him, it'll go well with you. I'm like, how does that work? And God said to me, He says, because when you bless Him, you bless you. But when you curse Him, you curse you. When you honor Him, you honor you. I said, how do I honor me by honoring Him? God said, because in every single cell in your body is your Father's DNA. And when you curse Him, that curse rests on you. But when you bless Him, that blessing rests upon you. When you honor Him, honor comes upon you because every cell in your body screams of His DNA. It has nothing to do with what your mother or your father has done or hasn't done. Do not walk in curse. Do not make life more difficult than it needs to be. Love forgives. Love honors. Love blesses when it's been unjustly dealt with. Lift your hands high to heaven. Father, I thank you for sons and daughters today. And the word of the Lord to you today on Valentine's Day where we're celebrating love. Love is more than red roses. It's more than love hearts. It's more than fine dining. It's more than exchanging gifts. It's more than candy. Love is forgive. Love is honor. Love is, as you do that, He breaks generational curses. My dad and I talk every week. He is so close to getting saved. He is so close to getting saved. So close, so close. God is no respecter of persons. He is a respecter of principles. Father, I thank you for each and every person. Lord God, on Valentine's Day weekend, we would, we would shatter. And this is what I see in the Spirit. I literally see the works of the devil shattered and destroyed over your lives because the, the devil wants you to hate. He wants you to, to repay back what was done to you. He wants you to move in vengeance. He wants you to, because love was withheld from you, I'm gonna withhold love from them because they cursed you, I'm gonna curse them because they did wrong by you, I'm gonna do. But you're gonna break all of that spirit today. And you're gonna show kindness where there was only cruelty. You're gonna show love where there was hatred. You're gonna show honor where there was dishonor. You're gonna break the curse. What you're gonna pass on to your children is faith. What you're gonna pass on to your children is courage. What you're gonna pass on to your children is virtue. What you're gonna pass on to your children is blessing. Your children will walk a different path. They will have a higher elevation. They will have a greater destiny, a greater legacy because of what you're doing today. Now listen to me, if your life is not right with Jesus, if you have never joined the family of God, do not leave here today without getting your life right. Over on my left, your right, there's a little platform. There's a handsome man. His name is Jim. He is married. Don't ask him. He's married. Happily married. Thank you. But we've got a Bible and a following Jesus book. Get that. If you brought someone that needs Jesus, don't even ask him. Take him over there and pray the prayer with them. Let's get people saved. Come on. 
Lift your hands high to heaven. Say these words out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, today I honour you and I break in the name of Jesus every curse, every dysfunction that has been working against me. I declare today the blessing of God rests on my life. I break every generational curse. I walk in generational blessing. In Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.